Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, happy draft day to you. <laughs> NHL Christmas, Dmitry. It is. Well, it's between this and, and July first is also a pretty pretty awesome day itself. But you're right. Um, no, this is this is great. Um, you know, we've been reading uh, draft profiles and analysis and seeing mock drafts done for for weeks and weeks on end, and it's really uh, every year it seems to kind of grow as an industry and, and that's for the better and um we're recording this on uh the friday morning the day of the draft so we're gonna try and get this out there as soon as possible so people can hopefully listen to it before tonight's festivities um but if not even if people listen to this after i think there's still going to be some good nuggets in here to uh to take from it so hopefully um it works out um so here was the plan you and i will go through the top 15 picks, uh, the lottery picks, and we're going to go, you know, team by team, pick by pick. And we're going to, I don't know, what do you think our methodology for this should be? Should we kind of classify it as what we think should happen based on what we know? Because it's always tough to sort of put yourself in the heads of these GMs and these teams and try to say what we think will happen. So I think that's always kind of the dilemma when you're doing a mock draft like this. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think that sounds good. We can, we can go through and, and, you know, see what we think will happen and see what we think should happen. And yeah, that yeah. sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I mean, luckily for us here, I don't think there's too much deliberation uh, atop the draft. Um, it's always fun when, when you know exactly how it's going to go. And I, I don't know. I think the more interesting question here for, for the Buffalo Sabres uh, when it comes to Rasmus Dahlin is, you know, we know that he's kind of pegged right now as, this generational player we haven't really seen a defenseman like him come into the, into the league since i'd say victor hedman and and that comparison has been drawn for a variety of reasons um i think the more interesting question to me though is like we know that dalin's going to be the first pick we know that he's going to step right into the sabers lineup from day one do you think there's a chance that right out of the gate he's already the best defenseman the sabers have without having even seen him play at the nhl level yeah, I, I think so. Uh, well, I mean, who who else do the Sabers have who's really in contention? Like, it's it's Ristolainen. It's bleak. I know that. I think on a per game basis, Ristolainen led them in five on five ice time last year for defensemen. But 
on a on a raw total just because he didn't really miss any games like Mar- they were leaning on Marco Scandella very aggressively um then there's like Jake McCabe, Nathan Boyu, Justin Falk and not even the good one um <laughs> Victor Antipan like it, it was they had the worst defense core in the league last year and that's even after having added a few guys like like uh like Scandella and Boyu to bolster it last off season so i mean adding it's it's perfect because obviously every team would love to have Dallin but in this case it really was one of those where it's like the perfect fit because they so desperately needed a game-changing guy like this at that position yeah I did a did an interview with a, a Buffalo station last week and I was asked you know kind of how I would handicap Darlene as an, an NHL defenseman out of the gate and I said well you know if you if you want a conservative estimate which is what you should do because you know you, you just don't know when a guy is a first-time NHLer I'd say expect sort of a second pairing level defenseman in his first year. And I thought that was a, a fairly safe bet. And if you apply that to the Sabres, the only guy on there who I think you can say has a decent chance of exceeding that is Ristolainen. And Ristolainen is one of those players who he, he's so controversial because he does some things really well and then he does other things very poorly. And then you wonder about usage. And yeah, it, it, I mean... And what a godsend to this franchise. And honestly, I mean, speaking of Ristolainen, I think it could be a bit of a, you know, a domino effect here in the positive for the Sabres because I th- I just think, you know, without with how limited um, the rest of the core around him has been over the past few years, I feel like they maybe asked too much of him and it's sort of exposed some of those flaws in his skill set and what he's capable of. And maybe having a guy like Dalian now, I mean, we'll see how it shakes out, but it might kind of, you know, it, it bumps him a bit down the depth chart. It takes a bit off his plate, and he might be much more productive because of that. So, I mean, that's something to look forward to as well, beyond just the fact that Dalin himself will obviously be a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, either Ristolainen has the best partner he's ever had at the NHL level, or, you know, he's on a he's on a different pairing, and, and this enables the, the Sabres to, uh, to, to diversify and, and spread the load a little bit. So it's it's good for him either way, regardless of what happens. I, I know I know there was a lot of speculation when the lottery occurred that people were like, oh well, maybe the Sabres will trade Ristolainen now. But you know, when you look at their defensive core, I mean, aside from the fact that, he, that the two players played um, different sides of the ice, when you look at their defensive core, they don't have three or four other good defensemen to push somebody out. They they need all the help they can get there. Yeah, absolutely. I guess obviously it would depend on what teams would be willing to give. It's always yeah. tough when you're talking about hypothetical trades like that, but you're right. Um, I think, uh, yeah, this is, this is great. Obviously we're not breaking any ground here and, and let's move on because I feel like yeah, this, uh, is bo- this is a little boring. Well, it's a little boring. Like I'm, I'm very excited to watch him play. I think he's yes. going to live up to the hype, but beyond that, I mean, at this point his game has been, um, you know, dissected and covered to the point since we've known that this was going to happen for so long now that it's, it's, there's nothing new we can really add to it. Um, and, and similarly, I'd say, you know, the second pick with the Carolina Hurricanes, it's going to be Andrei Sachikov, um, unless that ownership group just does something absolutely crazy and they trade out of that pick. But I, I can't really see that happening at this point. It really feels like he has sort of cemented himself as being a tier below Dalian, but in one of his own after that. And, it's got everything you, you, you'd like to see. I mean, he's kind of shaping up to be this skilled power forward and he fits a need because the Hurricanes should, assuming they get anything resembling league average goaltending, and I know for that franchise that's a big if, but if they get that, they 
there's no reason why they can't compete for a playoff spot next season. And we expect that Svechnikov, like Dalian, will step right into the lineup from day one and could instantly be a productive player for them. Now trying to sort of handicap and figure out who he'll be playing with and where he'll be in that lineup seems like a bit of a fool's errand just because they've been rumored to you know, be making so many trades, whether it's Skinner or now Elias Lindholm's name has come up and then the defenseman. So we're not really sure what that roster is going to look like, but it's probably going to feature Andrei Sechnikov in, I'd say, something resembling a middle six role. Yeah, the, the only uncertainty here is that Don Waddell has been out of the NHL for quite a while, and, and it's kind of difficult to gauge from afar what the philosophy is going to be in Carolina going forward. But, I mean, Svechnikov's sort of a no-brainer there based on what everybody has said. Um, based on his offensive production in junior, there really isn't a comparable forward in this draft. Yeah, it's And, and I mean, Carolina has kind of come out and said that they're after this guy, so it, it, it's pretty close to a no-brainer. Yeah, and I know, um, you know, our friends at Canucks Army did a great uh, pro- prospect profile series, and they, you know, do some really groundbreaking, innovative stuff there. And they're kind of they look- do. they were they were looking at the statistical comparisons, and uh, you know, they call them cohorts, and try to figure out sort of based on what we've seen in the past, guys with similar production in their draft years in those leagues, what their success rate is, and what we can glean from that. And you know, for Svechnikov, I mean. He's a bit below like the the likes of a Steven Stamkos, but he's right there with Tyler Sagan and Bobby Ryan and other um, really successful players at that league at that level who have gone on to the NHL and, and thrived. So um, yeah, there's there's nothing to to not like here. I don't really see any red flags. I know he had an injury in his in his draft year, but it was a broken bone, I believe. So it wasn't anything that would lead you to believe that uh, he's injury prone or anything like that. So this seems like a no brainer slam dunk in the hurricanes should consider themselves lucky that they moved up in the draft order the way that they did. Yeah. When I did the, uh, uh, my, my big draft piece saw at the athletic, that was, that was the same, same sort of approach. And, you know, you can't expect, you mentioned Stamkos. I, I mentioned uh, Tavares as well. He's just a little bit below those guys, but, you know, he's in the Sagan range, he's in the Brian Little range, he's in the David Leguan range. And and so your only question with him is whether he's going to be really, really good or just really good. Like, right. he, it's pretty certain what we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and this is where, see, this is where things really do get interesting because there's a lot of uh, dissenting opinions on this third overall pick, what the Canadians will do, whether they'll keep it, whether they'll, you know, try to trade it and move down and recoup some other assets, whether... If they do keep it, which way they're going to go? Because you know it's it's clear that they have two organizational needs, and they've even uh, referenced that. And it's the center, it's it's some help down the middle, and it's on the blue line. And the top player here that I would be targeting is a winger. Now we've we've heard. I'm, I'm very curious for your take on this because as this draft process has gone along, the obvious big riser has been Yasperi Gorkaniemi, and He's really made a spirited late push here to the point where if you look at most mock drafts right now, um, analysts have the Montreal Canadiens taking him largely because he's sort of the de facto number one center out of this year's class. And I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that because, you know, in a vacuum, um, his profile and his resume as a prospect certainly looks fine. And I think he's going to be a really good player. But I just wonder if that's the smartest way to go about doing business here for the Canadians, trying to fill an organizational need with this pick when, 
you know, realistically, who knows what the team will look like a couple of years from now and whether Mark Bergeron himself will even be around to reap the rewards of that. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think what makes this really interesting is that Philip Zadina, who it, it was sort of the consensus third best player in this grouping, I it, it feels like he's kind of fallen down into the pack and there are, you know, maybe 10 players in this general range that there isn't much separation between any of them. And, and you know, when Kotkaniemi's name came out in connection to Montreal, uh, that, at, at that point, the, kind of the consensus was that he wasn't going to be a top five guy. And so if, if Montreal wanted to address need, you could imagine them trading down and, and picking him. But what's made that complicated is that Kotkaniemi has seen his profile and improve to the point where if Montreal trades down to, you know, like just, just for the sake of argument, say to, say to seven, they very well may not get him. Even if they were to trade down to five, they wouldn't be certain of getting him. Mm-hmm. When I look at his numbers, I'm not wild about Kotka Niemi. I like that he's younger than most of his draft class, but I mean, the guys he compares to statistically are people like Joel Armia and, and yes, April ERV, you know, both, both solid players, but not necessarily the guys that you look at and say, okay, this guy's going to be a number one center. Like if you compare him to Alexander Barkov, Barkov, basically scored at double the rate that Kotkaniemi did in the same league at the same age. So he's not a guy who necessarily projects as a, a true number one center, but just because there's not a lot of separation in this group, I, I kind of think that's what Montreal would do. It's not necessarily what I would do, but having said that, I wouldn't necessarily take Zadina either. So who would you take here if you're the Canadians? I, my favorite guy of this second tier, and, and this is from a guy who's looking at it mostly from a numbers perspective, because I've seen most of them play, but not enough to, you know, right. really yeah. feel, overrule like a, an actual <laughs> expert. Um, I, I like Quinn Hughes. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's certainly fair. And obviously, I mean, we mentioned that one of the reasons the Canadians are super into Kakaniemi is because they have this organizational need, et cetera. And, and another one is on defense. And, um, you know, that would make sense. And I, we're going to talk about Quinn Hughes a bit more here in a second. I just, you know, with Kakaniemi, let's, let's wrap up a discussion on him. I know that a couple things he obviously has going for him is that, um, you know, he really took off as the year went along, especially in some of these international tournaments and really turned people's heads. And I believe, he also grew a bit as the year went along, which obviously isn't surprising for, for a person of that age. But I remember, you know, like a, a classic example of that was one of his countrymen in, in Henrik Borgstrom a few years ago really grew in his draft year and people weren't really accounting for that. And now all of a sudden, um, not that height is the be all end all. And, and especially when we're, <laughs> when we also talk about Quinn Hughes here, but it's, it's, it doesn't hurt and it's, it, it might change the trajectory or the ceiling or the development of a player like that. So, those are a few things to kind of take into mind, but I don't know, like I, I keep coming back to Zadina here and maybe that's a flawed way of looking at it just because we really should adjust our opinions as the, as the process goes along. Maybe you shouldn't be so rooted in your ways and just because, you know, at the start of the year, everyone just expected that Zadina was sort of the third obvious guy there. Um, you know, things change and as information presents itself, you need to be malleable. You can't just be stuck in your ways, but I just look at him and I just think I feel pretty comfortable that Philip Zadina will be a very good goal scorer at the NHL level. And I feel like I know what you're getting there. And as the, as, as this process has gone along, people have kind of nitpicked some of his individual skills and how it'll translate to the NHL level. But 
I don't know. I just, you know, you look at a lot of these teams and they have a bunch of needs. Obviously, there's a reason why the Canadians and the Sabres and the Senators are picking this high up the draft. But, like, goal scoring is very important. And especially after having traded Galchenyuk and now Pacioretty might be gone and they were already 29th in the league last year in goals. Like, just getting a guy with that type of a skill set that projects to be such a good goal scorer at this level, I think, is too much to pass up on, in my opinion. Well, I, you know, it's a it's a legitimate point. There's a reason that Zadina was sort of the consensus number three for a, a, a long, long time. I, I have trouble with players out of the queue just because sometimes big numbers there don't really project. I, I don't like that Zadina is at the older end of his class. I so so there's there's a couple of reasons for me to be a little bit wishy washy about him. But but I mean, you're talking about a guy who's basically. He, like he's not in the Jonathan Huberto range, but he's kind of in the, the Jacob Voracek range. He he's a he's a player who should be really good. Um, you know, if 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 Montreal were to take him at three, I don't think anybody would have any argument. And he, he is going to be you would expect a, a top five pick. Um, I, I just I, I'm a little less certain about him than I am about a couple of other players here, but he he's really good and and. I think if you were to take him ahead of Kaka Niemi based on the scoring, you would be entirely justified in doing that. Mm. Well, okay, so let's say... But I, I think Kaka Niemi is kind of the consensus what Montreal would do at, at this point, right? Yes, which makes me believe that it's the wrong pick. <laughs> if history has taught us anything. What, oh. what, what do people think Mark Bergevin's going to do? Well, that's probably wrong. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, listen, a few years from now, when he gets traded, I'm sure he'll thrive in his next landing spot. So, um, so okay, let's. It, this is this is tough. This is why this this process is obviously you know if we decide on let the ha- the Habs taking one of these guys, then all of a sudden there's this trickle down effect, and then it's like it affects what the Senators will do, what the Coyotes will do, and so on and so forth. Um, but you know if we get to the Senators at four, um, and it sounds like they're keeping this pick, um, where where do you stand on on keeping this pick versus trading it um, and going for next year's approach instead. Like, like I, I, I've looked at a bunch of pieces recently about the math on it and, you know, there's so many factors to, to consider here. I mean, just from a PR perspective and sort of giving your fan base something to hold on to hope for this year. Um, but at the same time, man, it, I guess the elephant in the room is what's going to happen with Eric Carlson. And if you do wind up trading him, then maybe, it changes the equation. Like, like where do you stand on, on the whole thing? Yeah, I think uh, if, if you're trading Eric Carlson, uh, you know what? I, I hate that Ottawa's in this situation. It, it's, it's maddening. Um, Pierre Dorian has, has made this, this miserable situation for himself. And, and, you know, if I were in his shoes today, I'd be hard pressed to make either decision. But when I thought about it, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that if I were going to trade Carlson, I would um, send Colorado this pick, and if I'm able to somehow keep Carlson, then I would uh, gamble and keep this pick and give Colorado's next year selection. Yeah, it's. I mean, especially assuming if you trade Eric Carlson, um, what you're getting back is futures, and you're not really going to get anyone that's going to yeah. step into your lineup now. The complicated. Well, yeah, go for sorry, it. go ahead. No, you go. I, I, I was going to say when we look at the, the Mike Hoffman return. It seems pretty clear that Ottawa, not that they got futures for Hoffman, but the um, 
the, the price point on Bodker versus his cap hit, it seems pretty clear that Ottawa is going to be very much a budget team next year. And if they do trade Carlson, I, I don't expect that we're going to see, you know, massive expenditures anyway to try and make up for it. We're, we're going to see lesser players coming back. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, so the one complicating factor is, I mean, a part of the reason why they bottomed out so badly last year was their goaltending just completely fell apart. And I'm not sure, you know, how much of that is sort of Craig Anderson at this point of his career. And, and given his age, it's possible that he's on that downswing and this is just going to be a recurring trend. But even if it normalizes a little bit, it's conceivable that they won't be the worst team in the league. At the same time, if you do subtract Eric Carlson from that equation and you don't add anyone to immediately help um, on paper, I think they're going to have the worst roster in the league. And, you know, if someone like Jack Hughes coming on his way, even if you have a 20% chance, or I guess it's like 18-something percent if you finish last of getting him, at least you're assured of a top four pick again. And that 20% chance that Jack Hughes might be high enough just based on how good he is that it kind of tilts the equation in, in favor of giving away this year's pick and, and hoping to hit a home run next year. But that's, that's, that's tough. Like if you're a fan of the senators right now, you don't have much to cheer for. Then all of a sudden, let's say you're, you play this game out, you're trading Eric Carlson. You already traded Mike Hoffman. Uh, you might even trade some other guys there. And then you don't even have a, a prospect or a pick to cheer for or, or follow this season as well, because you, and then you're watching the abs with all their guys, select someone at four there like that's a pretty demoralizing thing in and of itself so it's it's really kind of a it's they're 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 caught between a rock and a hard place that's that's the only way to put it absolutely and and i think when you like you talk about the fans having something to cheer for it's always kind of a double-edged sword with the fans because to to run a good hockey team you have to tune them out like you have to be able to say okay this is what the fans want and i really don't care i'm gonna do this because it's better and they'll appreciate it in time. But the problem is, if you're Ottawa, I, I mean, there's no reason for fans to think you know better than they do. <laughs> Things have gotten so sour there, and and rightly so. Like I, I appreciate and I understand why there's skepticism. And it, and if you know Pierre Dorian, because like ideally, perfect world, what I, what I would do is as the GM putting on my Pierre Dorian hat would be to say, okay, guys, um, we're not going to be able to keep Carlson, so we're going to have to trade him. We have to do a retooling thing here. Jack Hughes is tremendous. Uh, or, well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I'd be thinking it for sure, though. <laughs> um, and I saw him at the under-17s, and that guy, oh, yeah. man, he's such a good player. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but you'd say, okay, so our definite goal for next year is a rebuild, and because we've traded this year's pick to Colorado and we've kept next year's pick, we're able to just focus on that, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But... I don't think you can sell that in that market because people are going to look at you and say, okay, well, you're the guy who traded for Matt Duchesne, so I don't trust you. I've been screaming about Eugene Melnick for years, so I don't trust him. And and I have no faith in the organization that this is anything more than a temporary cost-saving measure because that's what I believe you value. And um, it becomes very difficult to sell that sort of thing in Ottawa. Well, I mean, and they're not alone. I mean, if you look at some of the other Canadian teams there as well, whether it's the Oilers or the or the Canadians, as we just discussed, like part of the reason why they're in the position that they are is because of the people who will be depended on to make these future decisions. So, if you're a fan of those teams, it's uh, it's a pretty uneasy position. But okay, let's let's so let's 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 play this this mock draft out. So, I'm gonna I took Zadina at three. Uh, we both matched on the top two picks. I'm gonna you 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 said you wanted to take Quinn Hughes there for the Canadians. 
guess. Yeah, just stick to your guns. That's fair. I think uh, it'll be more interesting as opposed to us just agreeing on every pick. Um, yeah, yeah, let's let's do that. So because we generally agree. But see, for the senators here, it's interesting because you know they've been sort of uh, linked to one of the defensemen at this spot, and you know with Hughes already off the board here, um, whether it's Sedina or whether it's Kotkaniemi or someone else, do you go that route now for the senators, or do you still uh, stay with a defenseman and then you get into the whole debate on? Evan Bouchard versus Noah Dobson versus Adam Bulquist versus even even Ty Smith. I, I think if Ottawa has a longer timeline, I, I think it makes sense to go with one of Bouchard or Dobson. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but but you know if if we're really playing this out, like what I would do is send it to Colorado, and if I'm Colorado, I take Philip Zadina. Okay, well, we're not going to let you send it off. We're not okay. Colorado I'm not going to send it that's off. That's going to okay. complicate things. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, well, in that case, uh, because otherwise, Zadina. I have some pretty crazy trades for you coming up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, poor Zadina, who does not deserve to slide to five. Mm. I, but if I'm if I'm Ottawa, I think I'm taking Bouchard. Well, I'm glad you said that because I do want to get into that debate on trying to figure out how we value those defensemen, and I don't necessarily think. There's a right answer. I mean, obviously, as their careers play out, it'll wind up. We'll, we'll we'll learn what the right answer was. But you know, just looking at them right now, I mean, they do have different skill sets. Um, and I'm kind of focusing here on on Bouchard versus Dobson because I think that's the most interesting debate. Um, so you prefer Bouchard as a prospect to Dobson? I'm assuming because of the way he generated offense at at the, at the OHL level. Bouchard Dobson's really really tough to me because when I watch them play. I saw Dobson at the Memorial Cup, and I like him better. I like right now. If I had to pick a junior defenseman to play for me, I'd rather have Dobson play for me. But, but when I look at Bouchard, I see a guy who has more high-end op- upside. And you know, because I'm, I, I think I like Bouchard's long-term upside a little bit more than I like Dobson's. I think he's going to have a better chance of being a, a really game-breaking defenseman for you. But Dobson, to me, is kind of a safer pick if that makes sense and and so i'm penalizing him a little bit because i i don't think he has the ceiling even if his floor is a little bit better mm. well I, I believe both guys are right shot defensemen right yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah they're, yes. they're both big right shot defensemen and uh so teams are sal- salivating over that obviously you know one of the concerns about bouchard um you know his when he has the puck on his stick uh he's tremendous whether it's shooting or, or playmaking uh his skating from what i've seen is is a bit of an issue, although I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the be all end all, but obviously with Dobson, it's a massive plus for him. And it's, it's, it's tricky because with Dobson, for example, I mean, you've mentioned so far that you're not really sure what to make of the queue sometimes and it can, you know, yes. lead to funny results. And that's a bit of a concern, obviously in the back of your mind. And also you don't want to, you don't want to put too much stock into something like a Memorial cup run, right? Because it, it ultimately is, you know, an extra handful of games or whatever. And, it's it's on a bigger stage, obviously, and that could be a positive thing, but also it can kind of deceive you a little bit because you're putting too much stock into it. But it's clear that Dobson has benefited quite a bit from how he looked through that playoff run and and playing in the Memorial Cup and winning it because he's obviously risen up the draft boards quite a bit so far and to a point where I'm going to take him at number four here for Ottawa. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's it's ultimately kind of a coin flip between those two guys, and I think that both are going to 
both are very good prospects. I I think the thing that separates Dobson from the other guys here, and I understand, you know, I'm usually with you. We know that for all positions, really, like the best indicator of future success is, is past success. And if you're going to generate points at the NHL level, it typically means you generated points at the level you were playing at before, and, and that bodes very well for Evan Bouchard. With Dobson, everything I've read about him, what he really stands out against his peers in is the sort of the two-way play. I feel like he's kind of in a, is in a bit of a class in his own in terms of neutral zone play and defensively without the puck. So I could see a team like Ottawa here really, especially based on how much his stock has risen, being really infatuated with with that and then teams valuing that type of a skill set maybe a little bit more than what Bruchard brought to the table. Yeah, um, I, I agree with all that. I, I think I think your reasoning there is 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 accurate. Um, just with regard to offensive generation in junior, for defensemen, I I don't know. I, I'm a little bit torn because I, I sometimes feel this is like an illogical way of looking at it. But but I also wonder if you just need to get to a certain level and then you know like if you're a a hundred on our hypothetical scale and then the difference between a hundred and a hundred and ten doesn't really mean anything and sometimes stylistically the things you have to do to get to a hundred and ten on offense mean that you're maybe not as good a defenseman mm. uh for me the reason i take bouchard over dobson is just because uh, the things bouchard can do with the puck on his stick like i since, since this is my list and i'm allowed to move away from sort of my statistical model a little bit and and move into the folly that is me uh scouting these guys <laughs> like bouchard's got a mind with that and not that not that dobson's bad because he's not he's he's a wonderful defenseman and you'd be thrilled to get him but but bouchard just has superior a superior brain with the puck on his stick to me, and that makes the difference yeah no 100 percent. i think that's very fair um so arizona here at five um they must on your on your mock, they must feel very excited to fill up Zadina's ball. Oh yeah, thrilled, thrilled. So you, and I mean, are you giving them Zadina? Yes, absolutely. Well, and and it, not only because of skill, because I I think arguably either of the last two picks, you know, I maybe should have taken Zadina, but uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful fit of organizational need and skill because Arizona could really use an offensive guy like this, and I I mean you can't argue the value at five. So if it plays out the way you have it, I think it's very clear that Arizona would take Philip Zadina. Now, if we go out based on the way that uh, I've done mine so far, um, going Zadina 3, Dobson 4, they're in a a weird spot here because I think they're going to have to fight the urge to take Brady Kachuk. Um, And he's sort of a divisive prospect here in the top 10 because... You know, for a while, it sort of seemed like he was the natural fourth guy after Philip Zadina there. Um, now, more recently, as people have really kind of dug into the numbers and evaluated everything, I think there are some red flags. I mean, he seems to have a lot of the physical tools, and I'd say that he has a very high floor as a prospect. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's pretty clear that he will be a regular NHLer and he'll be a productive one. Now, the question is sort of how high that ceiling is, and if you're picking fourth or fifth or even Montreal at three, um, sort of as a, as a scorer and as an offensive talent, how high that ceiling is and what level he'll really be able to take his game to. And it seems like he will be. Uh, I know that coming up as a prospect, people thought that he might be a center, but he played at, at the wing, and it seems like that will be what he is. So I don't know. It's I just think that 
there's guys with higher upside that at number five, if I was Arizona, that I would feel, really feel the need to take. And, you know, under John Chico, we believe that they're going to take a more sort of statistical approach to this and, and count that in more than sort of reading the traditional scouting reports that rant and rave about Kachuk's, you know, size and, and speed. Um, so I, 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 it, I think that'll be ultimately sort of a very fascinating decision for them to make. And, and then you get into the fact that, you know, I, they made 14 picks under John Chaika over the past two years. And I think nine or 10 of them have been defensemen, including two first round picks in there. So, you know, there's some other very interesting names here at that position on the board, but I think the organizational need does go for more of a forward. And, and I, so I'm, I'm, right now I'm, I'm between personally, I mean, whereas you had it with, obviously with Zadina, um, I'm in between Kotkaniemi and maybe even Oliver Wallstrom at this point. Um, I'm just not sure how much, what, what, what's, what things the Coyotes will be looking at when making this pick. Yeah. Um, in your shoes, you can, you can definitely argue Kotkaniemi at this position. I, I kind of agree with a lot of what you said about Brady Kachuk. I, I like him a lot, but, you know, in a draft like this, so, so Wallstrom's going to be a high-end goal scorer. Like, I, I think there's a decent chance. I mean, not that anything's guaranteed, but there's a decent chance that Oliver Wallstrom's a first-line player. I, I don't think Brady Kachuk is going to be a first-line player. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I think Brady Kachuk can step in and be a third-line winger for you probably next year if, if that's the road that you go down. And maybe he tops out as a second-line winger. And if he brings all the other things that you know that he brings, that that's value, valuable too. Because you look at his brother and, and you look at all the things that his brother brings to the lineup that aren't just his offensive ability. And I, and I don't think it, um, Brady um, rates quite as highly as his brother does, but that that's a very useful player. And that's a player who somebody with an analytics mindset might look at and say, okay, you know, I, I rate him higher than I, I rate a, a 60 or 70 point guy who is a, a more one-dimensional talent. So I think that's the argument you can make in favor of Kachuk. Man, in, in your shoes, it really isn't easy. Uh, see, 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 you should have should have had Zadina slide. That that would have made it a, a simple selection. It would have made it easier for me. Um, yep. I'm gonna I'll give them Kachuk here. I just think it'll be too tough for them to pass up on it. I don't love the pick. Um, I think there's guys with higher upside. Like I said, I you know obviously comparing him to his brother uh, is the natural uh, way to go here for a lot of people, but. I think Matthew, um, it, they're different players, and I think Matthew had a, a much higher upside, and obviously I'll produce him at every level. Although it's kind of, it's difficult to know for sure because Brady played at the college level, whereas Matthew played it in the OHL in his draft year. But I, but the I, year before, they definitely they played at the same level, yeah, and, and Matthew, Matthew produced. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give them Kachuk here just to make my life a bit easier because, uh, and this is a segue to our next pick. I just I I just want. Detroit to take Quinn Hughes because it's the easy <laughs> Michigan connection and, and I like it. It's a nice storytelling option here. And I think the Red Wings will once again suck next year. And, and then, you know, their fans can sort of salivate at the thought of potentially pairing the Hughes brothers and getting Jack the following year. And there's a lot to like there. I think from a, you know, I am, I am, I am a sports journalist after all. So I'm going to have to go with, uh, with that. It just, it's, it seems like a nicer story for me, but I think, you know, on my board, Hughes was still available. And I think Arizona would consider him as well, even though I mentioned that, they have been very dra- defenseman heavy so far in their drafts under Chaika. Yeah, I, I think that all makes sense. So who do you uh, who do you have Detroit taking then? So Kachuk is an obvious target, 
Dobson is an obvious target. Wallstrom is an obvious target. I, I think those are kind of the three guys. And I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have them take Dobson. I, I think that this is this really is a defenseman draft. I, I think that's where the most value is at this point on the board. And and I, I think Detroit has been kind of... I, I hate to do the team need thing because, I mean, a lot of these people are going to look at it and just ignore team need entirely, and, and that's pretty much what I would do in their shoes. But I, I think from a team need perspective, Dobson's a, a wonderful fit for Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if and a... I think he's the most value at, at this point on the board, too. Yep. I would I would agree with that. Um yeah, we didn't really talk about Quinn Hughes. That I feel like we've talked about Jack Hughes more on this podcast than Quinn. Um, <laughs> he's obviously an awesome player. I mean, you had him going third overall to Montreal. I have him going sixth to Detroit here. Um, you know, it's it's at this point we don't even need to get into the conversation about size because we've seen so many guys start to buck that trend, and it really is sort of those concerns are from a bygone era and. All, all things being equal, obviously, you'd much rather the guy who's who's built like a, a Dobson or a, a Bouchard. But at the end of the day, uh, the skill set itself is what really matters. And what we've seen from Quinn Hughes from so far uh, leads us to believe that he will be a very, very effective NHL defenseman, regardless of how, how tall he's listed at. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we get to the Canucks here at seven. Um, and you're, you're taking the obvious choice on your board, right? Well... <laughs> Here's the thing with the Canucks. It's they're in a weird spot because, and we're we're not doing trades in this uh, in this mock draft, and I don't necessarily think they will trade it. But for a team that's in the position they are and where they're picking, like there's been a ton of buzz about them looking to move out of the slot, whether it's up or you know down and get a roster player. Like I don't I don't know which direction they take it, um, but I think they ultimately will make the pick. Um, who is Who's the obvious? Who am I? Who am I? Who's the obvious player that I'm missing here that you just alluded to? Bouchard. Bouchard. Ooh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I, I thought I'd take him to this point, honestly. Um, yes, I, I think they're gonna take a defenseman here. Um, and this is sort of the cautionary tale, I'd say, of you know when we talk about organizational need, and once we're getting into the this point of the draft, we're probably talking about players who are at least a year or two away from really contributing. Um. You know, in 2016, they viewed defense as a big-time organizational need for them, and they took Ole Uolevi over Matthew Kachuk. And that obviously looks horrible in hindsight, and now they're back to, once again, really needing a defenseman in the in, in, the, in, in their organizational hierarchy. Um, you know, fortunately for them, there are promised to be some really high-end defense prospects available here, and so it makes sense that they would go that way anyways, but... When we talk about some of these teams, and especially as you move down the draft, and it's like, oh, you know, they really need a defenseman. Well, that just maybe take the best player available and, and let stuff figure itself out because you never know what's going to happen in the years to come. Yeah, but it sure is easy if the best player available is Evan Bouchard. Yes, no, that because definitely helps. With, with, without intending to do this, I uh, have left the Canucks in a terrible situation on my draft board mm. because Hughes is gone, Dobson's gone, and Bouchard is gone. So, do you take Kotkaniemi? Do you take Wallstrom? Or do you reach a little Kachuk? bit? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Um, uh, now, uh, they've, they've uh, also been... I know you're not... Um, and let's 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 once again plug uh, the fine work you did in your own mock draft where you sort of looked at this from a statistical perspective at the Athletic. But I know you made a point in there about um, how you, you weren't that high on Adam Buckwist. 
Um, yes. And you sort of, you know, you wrote it in there why that's the case. Um, they have been linked fairly heavily to him so far. Yes. Um, and, you know, of the defensemen that are available. I mean, I really like Ty Smith, and we'll get into some of the other names as we get down this, down this list. But, you know, he definitely has the highest upside, I'd say. Um, and there are the obvious concerns. I mean, the concussion concerns, the late birthday, the defensive concerns. I mean, you pointed out while people like to compare him to, to Eric Carlson, there's a bunch of other guys who no one's ever really heard of who could also very easily be statistically linked to him. So it's it's a very boomer bust pick. And if it doesn't work out, then the Canucks really, really are in trouble after the past few years they have they've had. But he does provide them with a very, very interesting high upside option, similar to sort of what they got with Elias Pettersson at number five last year. And of course, everybody's going to emphasize Vancouver's connection to Swedish players. Uh, you know, I there's there's not a chance I would do this, but you know, I I, I kind of think that if if it plays out the way it is on my board, if you're Vancouver, you do take Bookfist. If you're Jim Benning, yes. <laughs> you have to put on your Jim Benning hat to, to make this. Pick. So do you, do you for your mock draft, I'm I'm keeping sure. Keeping yeah, I'm take, I'm, you know what I, I I'm a. The problem is that I, I love anarchy, so uh, mm. Bokefist it is, and we'll uh, have the outrageous scenario of both Kachuk and Kotkaniemi sliding to eight. Man, yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is interesting. So you know, Chicago coming up here at eight. Um, see on my board, uh, you know, they, a lot of mock drafts I've seen uh, have them going uh, with Oliver Wallstrom, but I think at this point. I just I find it hard to believe that Kadkaniemi will continue, yeah, slipping. I, I don't you know now that I think about it, I don't even necessarily think he like he he'll, <laughs> he'll probably go number number three to Montreal and this will all wind up looking silly in hindsight. But we we are sort of doing what a combination of what we think should happen versus what we think will happen. So it's going to look slightly different than real life. But I'm going to give Chicago Kadkaniemi here and. For the first time since the number two pick, you and I are on the same page. Wow. Poor Brady Kachuk falling. Falling big time. Yes, but but not not for long. Mm. So do you... Okay, well, before we get off Chicago here, um, you know, we're not doing trades, but let's say there was a a team out there that would take this pick. Um, From from your hands, all it would cost is... uh, you know, you have to give up uh, the Brent Seabrook contract. You have to take on the Brent Seabrook contract, but you get this eighth overall pick, I should say. Um, if you're another team, would you consider that, depending on your financial situation? And if you're Chicago, would you also consider that? If I'm Chicago, I don't think I do. Hmm. Because, I, and, and that's not to, to devalue... Uh, well, I, I, just, I just look at where Chicago is, and I think... I don't know how much left in them the core has. You you deal Seabrook and the eighth overall pick, and, and that gets you out of a contract problem, but then you still have to somehow find a way to uh, inject some talent on the back end and, and, and also probably up front, and, and uh, you don't have the eighth overall pick to do it because you used it to get out of cap hell. I, I don't think I do it as Chicago. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, and to be honest, I don't, <laughs> I mean, what teams out there would even do that? Um, well, can I give you a what if? Yeah, go for it. 
just just because you know chaos anarchy love it uh chicago edmonton calls up chicago and says we will trade you milan lucic in the 10 for the eight in seabrook hmm. do you do that um I, like i wouldn't do that if i were edmonton because i think the seabrook contract is that toxic and it's two spots but if you're chicago do you do it or or if you're Edmonton, do you do it? It, de- it depends. I mean, if if the draft is going the way it is here, I think you have to take Ka- Kotkaniemi. I think a Kotkaniemi or a Kachuk, if you're Chicago, um, is just this is a, a, the difference between that level of prospect and who you'd get at ten. Assuming those are the next two guys off the board, I think doesn't really make that worth it from their perspective but yeah it's, a, it's it's an interesting discussion might be one of those rare trades where both teams say no <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a well-crafted trade when that happens yes um okay so we we, we have chicago taking kakanami here now new york rangers who sneakily have three first round picks so they have nine 26 and 28 they have two picks in the second round and two picks in the third round um so that's a that's a nice piece of work for them at the trade deadline Especially, you know, last year they picked 7th and 21st uh, after that step-in trade with Arizona. But before that, here were the first picks that they made in each draft prior to that. 81st in 2016, 41st in 2015, 59th in 2014, and 65th in 2013. So they, if any team needs first-round picks, it's them. And I know they've drafted college free agents, uh, signed college free agents and such in those years but um yeah an infusion of young talent and it really seems like if they do keep these picks that they are embracing that rebuild as they said in their letter at the trade deadline and i don't fault them for it all i think it's it's probably the one of the first kind of prudent things that they've done in a long time assembling this team so and luckily for them i mean on your board if they get matthew if they get brady kachuk falling into their lap like i, I think they're going to be really really happy they're going to race up to the race up to the podium as soon as they can yeah, you'll see Jeff Gorton just just running for the <laughs> for the for the podium to, to make that pick, and 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 that's obviously what they do on my board. Um, I think just just because it's sort of a no brainer pick for me, and I think we all kind of know what Kachuk brings as a you know a, a power forward with with defensive ability. Who your your only question is really how much he's going to score, and and maybe maybe a little bit about his foot speed, but uh, I, I think everybody knows he can overcome that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of a. I'm kind of a fan of Jeff Gordon. I. I feel like the Rangers have been in a tough spot just because Henrik uh, Lundqvist lets them do so well all by himself, regardless of how good the team in front of him has been. And I think for a few years it hasn't been that good of a team in front of him. But it's been hard to move away from the win now mode because, you know, they have elite. They've had elite level goaltending for ages, and and now that he's getting up into his late 30s, it's, it's right move to embrace a like most of the time when a gm takes a team into a rebuild i say you should fire the gm because the guy who gets you into a rebuild is not the guy you want cleaning it up but i think with the rangers it's just such such a such a cyclical thing and a factor of of where they're at that i i don't i don't necessarily blame their their current management for the predicament that they're in absolutely not yeah no 100 percent um i will have them taking oliver wallstrom who i believe is um the best forward available on the board here. And um, I think the only concern you really have with him at this point is how much of his prolific production was because of 
Jack Hughes. Um, how do you feel about that question? So, so this is <laughs> you're going to advertise this as the the Jack Hughes podcast, right? It is, yeah. Um, I I feel like I don't want to undersell how amazing Jack Hughes is because Jack Hughes is legitimately amazing, and um, pay attention for our 2019 mock draft forthcoming. But I, Wallstrom is a year older, and I, I kind of find it hard to say, you know, this 16 year old guy no matter how good he is propped up the 17 year old to me it's probably more of a partnership and you know as difficult as it is to sometimes gauge why a guy on the uh, the u.s uh, national team is is producing just because there is so much talent I'm, I'm i'm very comfortable looking at wallstrom and saying this is a guy who's legitimately a high-end goal scorer i i think he's going to be sneaky good value anywhere later in the top 10 and and if he was a guy who who rose i think you could make an argument for it yeah yeah no i think uh obviously he didn't hurt but he seems like he's uh just one of those guys that's going to score goals wherever he plays with or whoever he plays with and i love the uh the shot generation metrics from him as well and i, I think uh yeah he's a he's a very smart pick here for for the rangers at nine um for the 10 the Edmonton Oilers. Stop me if you've heard this before, but the Edmonton Oilers are in a hunt for a defenseman. Wait, what? I know, I know. Shocking. Um, I have them taking Ty Smith here. Yeah. Um, he's someone who I've been really uh, becoming more and more enamored with as uh, I've done more research. Um, you know, I know your colleague Mitch Brown at The Athletic put together this piece looking at sort of uh, the underlying numbers for defensemen. Um, in major junior, particularly, you know, zone exits, uh, you know, defending zone entries, stuff like that, uh, shot generation metrics. And, uh, Ty Smith, uh, was up there, uh, with, with anyone really in major junior last year. And then obviously just based on the traditional, uh, offensive metrics, I believe he's like, he's there with Ivan Provorov and Morgan Riley as the most productive draft eligible defenseman in, in the WHL over the past decade or so. So there's a lot to like there. And, um, I think, He's the best prospect still available and fits a need for the Oilers, and it seems like a no-brainer for me. So in, in my board, it's a little bit more complicated because Wallstrom has fallen mm-hmm. to 10. And to me, if that happens, it's very difficult not to take him. Yeah. But I, I would also have the Oilers taking Smith um, because I'm, I'm going to do the same thing to them that I did to Vancouver and, and say this is kind of a it's, – it's maybe – I, I wouldn't take Smith over Wallstrom, and I really like Smith for all the reasons you said. But I, but it's a combination thing, and and I think that they're pretty enamored of Smith. Um, I, I was listening to Oilers now in in Edmonton the other day, and they had um, Bob Green on, who's a big part of their, their amateur procurement department. And I'm I'm just going to read you something that he said about um, Ty Smith. He said he's a left shot, but I like it better on the right side. I think he's way more effective over there. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. He just does everything well. He's got leadership ability. He can beat the forecheck with his feet. He can move the puck. His transition game is good. He has lead, he's has he got leadership ability. So I, I think that he's a guy, when when you listen to them kind of, when you listen to somebody like Bob Green emphasizing the, the leadership ability, the, the other things he does well other than generate offense, um, his ability to play on the right side, which has been a consistent concern in Edmonton for ages, I think he's a guy they really like, and and I think rightly so. You know, like he's a he's a he's a very very good player, and 
Um, I it would surprise me at all if he's the pick there. Yeah, no, uh, sound logic. Um, well, you know, just like the Rangers were were uh, stoked to get Kachuk fall to them, I think the Islanders are very excited that Oliver Wallstrom's still on the board. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of teams. I don't, I don't know what this says about your mock draft, but I feel like the recurring <laughs> theme is there's a lot of teams that are very excited about the guy that's fallen to them. I, I can't decide if I'm a, a genius for for down down. Well, yes, yeah, I can every, decide. I'm a genius. Is, everything is everything is working out perfectly. <laughs> I, I'm a genius, Dimitri. I have called this correctly. Everybody is thrilled. No, uh, I I think it's unlikely they go this way because I think I'm probably selling you know Montreal and and Vancouver and maybe even Edmonton a little bit short, hmm. but. Having said that, historically, you don't usually go wrong betting against those management groups. Yeah, no, and um, well, hopefully, as as we round out this uh, this top fifteen, we start disagreeing a bit more. I feel like now, you know, we both had Chicago taking Kakaniemi, we both had Edmonton taking Ty Smith. Um, oh, oh, you know what? We had massive disagreement. We did picks uh, through, through, which I don't think anybody tunes in and expects to hear. So I feel like we've really uh, done the listeners a service by. I, okay. In, good, in disagreement. Good. good okay. But, well, but who do you, who do you have the Islanders take? Because I don't think there's a, a really clear pick in your shoes at eleven. So let's go eleven. I'll do eleven and twelve. Well, here eleven and twelve both. together, right? Um, yeah. Now I think in the real world, I think it's just as likely that they don't make both of these picks as they do. Um, yeah. I think we could very likely see a trade for Philip Grubauer, for example, this weekend, um, or maybe they're gonna. You know, now that um, Robin Leonard is going to hit the UFA market after he wasn't qualified, maybe they'll go that route instead and keep the picks. I'm not sure. Um, but I feel like they will do something and make some sort of splash. So they probably won't keep both of these. But assuming they do, um, I think they're going to take... At this point, I think the uh, the reward outweighs the risk with a guy like Adam Balquist. And I think I would give them... I would have him going with one of these picks. And then the other guy... I'd say just based on sort of what I've seen on mocks and sort of how I think NHL teams think, like I think like Joe Valeno is seems like the next guy here. But you're right. I mean, there isn't an obvious pick. There's a bunch of different ways you could go. And they were getting into the tier here where there's like, I'd say almost 10 guys that are kind of interchangeable. And it's sort of a subjective personal preference thing. Yeah, because I like I I'm really big on on Rasmus Sandin. I don't think he's really in the conversation here. Uh, certainly not on on your board where where Bokvist is there. Um, I like Kravstov. I like Lundestrom. I like Kot. Valino's obviously a very good player. Uh, at some point, we're going to see Barrett Hayton go. <sighs> For me, there's one obvious pick here, and it's Wallstrom. And then after that, it's very difficult, especially if you kind of subscribe to the traditional NHL mentality of, well, if you've got two first-round picks and you're keeping them both, you should diversify and pick both a forward and a defenseman. And particularly if you're the New York Islanders, where maybe you have more of a need for, well, depending on what happens with Tavares. (laughs) Um, So Wallstrom's the one obvious pick for me. uh, The second one is tough. Mm. I don't think Valino is so ahead of everybody else that he has to go here. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I don't think they're going to take another winger. I so think let's go. T- let's go through some of the names. Let's talk this out then. Um, sure. So we've got like, I think in this range you've got Rasmus Kupari. Yeah. You got Barrett Hayden, uh, Joel Farabee. Um, you know, I've seen Vitali Kravstov, uh, Isaac Lundstrom. 
Like these are some of the names that I feel like have generally popped up in these next handful of picks. I don't know. Is there is there anyone else that that catches your eye around here? Uh, I think that's I think that's most of them. I I, I don't think Grigory Denisenko goes this high, although some people are yeah. really really high on him. Maybe Saren Noel is another guy we'd mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that's about it. Um, you know what? I, I think I'll take Hayton with the other the, the other Islanders pick. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, he's sort of in a in a weak center class. Um, he's an intriguing prospect, especially since you know everything I've read suggests that he was one of those guys that just because the the Sioux Greyhounds were so stacked, maybe his role yes. wasn't as big, so his counting numbers aren't as impressive, but it could be one of those things similar to Morgan Frost uh, from the year before where in a bigger role next season he could explode and then people, as the year goes along, will be like, wow, what a great pick by whoever took him. Look at how his numbers have just ballooned. So I think uh, I'm always intrigued by prospects like that who you just kind of have to actually dig a bit deeper beyond just looking at how many how many goals and assists they've generated. Yeah, I think if you're looking at centers, it's probably either Kapari or Hayton at this point. And and the argument against Hayton, of course, is that he, he just didn't produce. But but when you look at that team, they had a lot of 19 year olds, and he was. Uh, it would have been hard to, to push past them. But but historically, you know, guys who score like Barrett Hayton generally don't have really really high end offensive potential in the NHL. But but you're right, he he could be a sleeper pick, just in or not a sleeper pick. Everybody knows about him, but. He, he could be a guy who the numbers really undersell. And if that's the case, you're getting a really good player because everything else that he does, it rates really high according to everybody out there who's writing about the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas at 13 here. I I had a few notes for like every team in terms of uh, you know stuff they've done in the past or intriguing storylines to follow that could dictate this pick. For them, I just have a bunch of question marks. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they need or what they want or which way they're going to go. Um, I think of the names available, Rasmus Kupari, who I mentioned earlier, intrigues me from sort of a, I feel like he's got a pretty high baseline, but also an intriguing enough ceiling that warrants a pick he, around here. Um, so I'm just going to give them him, but as like he, Hayden would be a perfectly fine pick. I think they're, they're just going to, go that route like i don't i don't there there isn't really a name at this point that really stands out to me um so i'm gonna give them kupari yeah and, and on my draft board valino drops one spot to them mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm a little bit skeptical about valino but he you know he's he's fast and he's a he's a center and he does he does a lot of good things and when you get down to 13 like i i really feel like this is where the drop-off happens is somewhere in the islanders range of picks that's kind of where you move into the the I guess it's the third tier of the draft with with uh, Svechnikov and Dolan at the top and this wide range of like 10 guys. And, and now we're into the next group where any of these players could be picked anywhere between 15th and 35th. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, so we get into Philly here at 14. Um, I think they've sneakily drafted very well under Ron Hextall. And uh, they've also shown a willingness to dip into the European pipeline. And I'm going to give them Vitaly Kravstov here. And, you know, you mentioned uh, his countryman, Grigory uh, Denisenko, is also an intriguing name. I think he's going to fall a bit. Um, well, I think he should fall a bit. I don't know if he will. Well, I'm not I'm not sure 
how to value him because obviously you know his production with his club throughout the year wasn't necessarily overwhelming but then he's one of those guys that showed really well in tournaments and like I said with the Memorial Cup you don't it's a much smaller sample so you don't want to put too much stock into it but it's like it's clear that he's also got the talent it's not necessarily um like he's got something going for him but with a guy like Krastov I think uh everything I've seen and everything I've read the the pure talent is just it's too overwhelming and the upside is too high once we get to this point of the draft to pass up. So I'm just going to go with him. I think Philly would be the type of team that would be uh, willing to take that plunge and I'm just going to give them him. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little torn here and and it's between Kupari. Uh, like to me, it's actually, this is a this is a European slot and I'm looking at Kravstov and I'm looking at uh, Kupari and I'm looking at Isaac Lundestrom mm. and I, I think... Are you worried about Lundestrom? Ah. <sighs> I, like what's his he seems like he's going to be really solid I just I, like what and maybe we're getting to the point of the draft where if you're going to get like a third line center like about a really good one like that's that's fine but I just wonder what his upside is it seems like well, he's not he, necessarily the most dynamic of players yeah and, and that's like numbers wise I think he's fine mm-hmm. um, like he, he scored he scored better this year than, than because Zibanejad did at the same age and at the same level. So he's, the, he, the numbers really are not bad. Um, but yeah, the, when you read the scouting reports, that's, that's, that seems to be a consistent thing where people wonder about how high end he's going to be. I, I think he'll play for you. And then I think you can gamble a little bit that he might have a bit more of a ceiling a- anywhere in this 10 to 20 range. I think you can gamble on him because there just aren't a bunch of guys who you look at and say, that guy is going to be a, a top-end NHL player. I think Kravtsov is maybe the last of those guys on probably on either of our boards that you look at and you say, this is a guy who, who really brings a, a dynamic uh, quality. Mm-hmm. So who so I, I, I take Kravtsov as well, just because I think he's the best of the three, but, but Kupari and Lundestrom are both really interesting. Yeah, so with, with, with Florida then, um, I'm going to give them Barry Hayden. I think uh, he seems like a type of guy that is a nice little mix of uh, what the computer boys would like and what Dale Talon would like. So it seems like uh, the best of both worlds. But I don't know, like what, which way do you think they would go at this point at the 15th pick? At this point, I mean, the draft is such a mess. You can take anybody. I'm going to take Rasmus Sandin because I love him and I know we're coming to the end of our... You just want to sneak him in here? Yeah, I, I want to sneak him in, and I, I actually think he he kind of makes sense for the uh, for the Panthers. He's he, he's um, he does he does lots of things well, and 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 like Hayton, he's a guy who I think you can make a case for from tra- from a traditional scouting perspective, and I think you can make a case for from an analytics perspective. He's a uh, he's a smart guy. He's um, he's playing in North America. Teams are very comfortable with with Swedish defensemen as a rule. I'm just rattling off a bunch of stuff now. I, I like him at the slot. Yeah. No, I, I feel if you take Sandine after 15, you're getting insane. Well, I shouldn't say insane value, but I, I think you're getting really good value with him anywhere after 15. And I think he will be available after 15, to be honest, based on mm-hmm. um, the way. Oh, yeah. I think there's a good chance you get him late in the first round. And uh, and if you do, I, I think you're probably doing really well. All right. Well, that's something uh, for, for listeners to... Um... To look forward to um all right jonathan let's uh let's get out of here so that we can post this and so people can uh have time to listen to it before the draft actually happens um 
we did the top 15 we made it i feel like there was enough diversity here we we mixed it up a little bit we had i think we only agreed on like four or five picks and in, in total so it's pretty good better than i thought and uh obviously once uh once montreal takes uh Isperi Kokanemi third and just throws everything for a loop uh on our <laughs> we're gonna wind up looking silly but you know what it's it's I'd much rather it turns out the way we did it, especially yours. I feel like every somehow all fifteens are very all fifteen teams are very happy about the guy that slid to them. Should we uh, should we throw in a thing about Ryan Merkley before we leave, or should we just ignore him entirely? Because he's not really a top fifteen pick, but he like he's not going to be. We we don't think. But, he's a uh, top fifteen talent. He will not he's, be. A top he may be a top pick. five talent. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean it's tough because I think anyone that has been following the draft at all preparing for it sort of knows everything about him right now in terms of yeah. the concerns and um why picking him makes it it makes it a bit of a gamble but at the same time once you start getting especially into like the mid-20s i feel like you know the names that are going to be available there just don't provide nearly enough upside to warrant passing up on what merkley could be if he gets his head on right and all of those off ice concerns um, kind of stabilize, and maybe I mean, listen, he's, he's a young kid, he's a teenager. Like it's attitude problems and stuff like that. Um, sometimes stick and sometimes don't, and he can very clearly play. So I think if you're just building a hockey team um, and you have like a good culture in place and you believe in your in your uh, organizational structure and hierarchy, I think uh, he'll be a very intriguing name. I think that's why he's been linked so heavily to a team like Toronto at 25, for example. Yeah, I think he probably falls in that 25 to 28 range. Um, I, I, I don't, like Toronto's always depicted as this very analytics-heavy organization, because they are, but but I don't think that means they discount character concerns or, right. or, or things of that nature. So I, I don't think it's a lock that they pick him at 25, but maybe they do. But then you get into that 26 to 28 range, and you have two New York picks, and, and New York has shown a, a willingness to, I mean, maybe that works against them. With, with Anthony D'Angelo, where maybe they are willing to take a gamble on a guy like that. And because they have three first-round picks, it makes some sense for them. And then when I look at Chicago, I, I think at 27, he might be a sneaky good pick for Chicago just because the Blackhawks are in a position where they need a real talent infusion, and it, it makes more sense for them to, to kind of swing for the fences there than it, it does for a lot of other teams. Yeah. No, hundred um, percent. Sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't want to derail your your graceful exit from this podcast. Oh no, that's okay. I, I, no, I, I felt we should at least mention Mark. You're right, hundred um, percent. I'm glad we did. Uh, Jonathan, so what? Uh, plug some stuff. What? Uh, what are you? What are you working on now? I know, obviously, we mentioned that statistical uh, mock draft that you did or, or ranking set, and uh, everyone should absolutely go ahead and devote six hours to reading that because that's how long <laughs> it'll take to get through all of it um but uh, is there anything else that uh that you want to you want to direct people's attention to uh you know it, because we're in a fluid news news situation i don't really have anything that's um immediately coming up that i know is coming up so obviously you'll be writing about the draft and free agency and we'll just see what happens mm-hmm. i i will plug my my uh, 2018 statistical draft piece because it took me the better part of two weeks the first draft was over fifteen thousand words so i cut it down to 10 but it's uh it's a it's a it's either a, a lot of fun and very deep or it's a merciless slog and either way you should check it out absolutely i uh 100 cosign um all right man let's uh enjoy the draft enjoy free agency and we'll chat sometime down the road 
But thanks a lot, Dimitri. Take care. Cheers. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. There's so much going on in Latin America. Literalmente llegan a morir porque todo, absolutamente todo está colapsado. La cantidad de derrames es impresionante, es algo colosal. In El Hilo, we help you understand the most important stories from across the region. Es necesario que los trabajadores precarizados nos organicemos, nos unamos. Nos empezaron a decir que nadie sabía dónde estábamos, que ya no le íbamos a contar. Listen to El Hilo every Friday morning on Acast, Spotify or your favorite podcast app. A cast recommends. <laughs>